to positions of hopelessness and helplessness. The government gives them the drugs, builds bigger prisons, passes a three-strike law, and then wants us to sing God Bless America. No, no, no. podcast mishka is i like to not have an outline at all just you know just sort of go into it and riff it's a show about nothing <laughs> yeah. i remember uh, last time i podcasted with you that being uh a thing we were talking about and how annoying it is that everyone's like that and i was like well guess what <laughs> so do you have a whole powerpoint presentation about uh what you want us to talk about and which sides of the arguments that you want me to take <laughs> Yeah, please. The, we just have one edgelord hat. We have to pass it back and forth. Yeah. I'm going to take off my headphones because I'm not actually, there's nothing actually playing through them. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, does it make me look more intimidating like a producer if I wear the headphones? The Wear them casually around your neck like the, the, the dudes at the swimming pool would wear the towels around their neck <laughs> with just the Speedo. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like the, there's the one part of your body you should be covering and instead you're just accenting it. <laughs> Hold on, let me go take off my pants. We'll <laughs> let me take off this speedo. Oh man, we're touring again. Hello, Jake. Hi. <laughs> Hello, everyone. Welcome to the show. If you're a longtime listener of the show, you may uh, you may have you may be you may be aware that this is episode <laughs> five or six of. Jake and Mishka try to make sense of a tour. You may already be sick of both of us in this entire conversation. <laughs> I don't know, man. Uh, podcasting whenever we're on the road is so unfunny because it's so funny when we're in the car and we're driving and we feel free to just sort of twist in the wind and let our heads uh, unscrew and talk about everything and then we get to like the hotel and we're like all right now let's record a podcast oh wait we just did it and I, no one has invented the the podcast car yet to just record while you're driving the it it, it does feel a little bit like taxidermy where you're trying to reconstruct a conversation because those i mean I'm realizing now after fucking touring for 20 years that it was never about the shows for me, that it was just about like the drive and the hang. Cause I do feel like we figure shit out and then I feel like, Oh, we should try to get this down on a recording somewhere, uh, to, uh, you know, illuminate the masses. And then it's so fucking hard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, well, that's the thing. I think we have to get that out of our heads right now. Yeah, I was going to say, we're really selling this we can't, podcast, aren't we? Whatever incredible point we got to the other day in the fucking van, it's not coming back uh, in spontaneity. The same way, like, sometimes a joke doesn't work in your act, but it was something you said that was really funny when everyone was hanging out and you're like, I'm going to recreate this. I'm going to bottle this and take it to the stage and it's going to be so funny. And it just never, that's just not how it fucking works. The only thing worse than a joke that never works is a joke that hits, that destroys once. Yeah. Yeah. No, cause then you're chasing the dragon. It's yeah. like smoking crack or doing heroin. Yeah. You're like, if I do this enough, I will, uh, I'll get it. I'll get it back and it'll just start feeling like that every time. And then like, uh, you know, one of us has to come to your middle school and uh, <laughs> speak in front of the, everyone in the auditorium or the the cafeteria about why that's not true. And there's a lot of science that proves the joke will never feel as good as it did the first time. And you need to just don't go down that road because your whole life's in front of you. The you know yeah, that I have a phone book in half. <laughs> You know that I've actually done that before as a gig, of right? Of course. Speaking, you have. <laughs> what do you mean? I assume we were doing that on this tour. We that, played a fucking laundromat. It's such an ironic premise, too, because it's like the, you know, I would get up there and tell kids like, "Don't drink or do drugs because if you do it badly enough for long enough, then you will get paid to go and talk to people about what a fuck up you are." Yeah. And it's like the, it just felt so false to me. Yeah, like you're. Why are they? 
Why are you headlining? That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> <laughs> I like how we put pop filters on these microphones, but then we're like, also, Sadie, go ahead and eat a cardboard box next to the <laughs> podcast we're recording. That's She's trying to eat a fucking can out of the recycling like a goat. We're touring with a dog, <laughs> by the way. Uh, there's three of us this time. Sadie's our opening act. She is a beautiful, what kind of dog is that? Uh, open mic. <laughs> She's an open mic dog. Yeah. <laughs> You'll get there someday, Sadie. Um, let's t- talk about performing, though. Uh, it's kind of on my brain today. Um, what What are we doing? <laughs> what is What is a show? What is the point of it? I've been thinking about this too, like on this run, because there are, I mean, the first, it's like, I feel like the first, last, and all the middle things that I do during a tour, the bulk of it is just like, why am I doing this? Why am I out here? Like, what am I doing this for? Why am I doing this? And I feel like this is the first time that I have like good reasons uh, for doing it, and none of it has to do with performing. Yeah. <laughs> Right. I mean, you were just kind of drive this direction anyway, right? You said in the van the other day that this this tour is like the uh, uh, a good metaphor for it is finding a bag of Coke and then going, well, I guess I'm going to do it. It's like right there. Uh, and that, that unfortunately made a lot of sense to me. <laughs> like, <laughs> we shouldn't be on tour the first week of the year. None of it well, makes sense. Welcome to the floor score tour. <laughs> but there is something about like... Uh, being ultra aware of that and having that out front that is freeing you know not going like this is the one where we're gonna get discovered or whatever well yeah i was gonna say that i i feel like what influenced my um lack of investment or the that sounds negative but the but like my sort of laissez-faire um attitude about this tour is actually something that you said which you probably don't remember because you don't remember any of the fucking best shit that you say <laughs> yeah. i need to I need to be more proactive about stealing your bits because it's like the i'll never get exposed because every time i fucking do them for you in the car thinking that you, like you'll give me a knowing wink you're just like man that's brilliant <laughs> <laughs> you should steal material you should steal things that i say because if you don't they will disappear like tears in the rain <laughs> like the end of blade runner yes <laughs> the um no we I think I was giving you shit once for, um, if you can imagine, imagine a world in which I give you shit. The no, but I, that I was saying that like, um, not necessarily that you should be more professional, but that you should do stuff so that you can glean more rewards from the work that you do, and, um, you know, and. and at that point in your career, you had a ton of great things happening for you. And I was like, you could really capitalize on this. And then, you know, the next time your fucking apartment gets raided or whatever, and then maybe you can finally make something of yourself. And your counter was the, that this isn't your job, that this is your hobby and that you're a professional pizza delivery guy and that it's way more fun that way. And I finally, like, at 45, sort of realized, like, it's dumb uh, for each show, to set each show up in my mind, like, the, um, you know, Lucy and Charlie Brown and the football, like, what I'm going to kick this football, and it's going to be a touchdown, and then I will be transformed. Yeah. And instead, the, uh, it's just Thursday. <laughs> you know the and it's another show and and the and they're good and the shows are important and you know but um and you should you know ob- like obviously fucking do your best job at every show but the but don't put so much pressure on it to transform who you are well something that i talk a lot about on like why you mad and like it's kind of just part of my personal philosophy is is that like success would ruin any it, it, i think it does ruin every artist to some degree because you have to start making decisions and pandering and um this guy Yadoye travis had a really good thread about this the other day on twitter about how he has worked like kind of high up for like nbc and stuff but there uh the, one of the things he said was that the reason there are no revolutionary artists is because your job as an artist, once you start getting paid, is to maintain the status quo, and you're yeah. in direct opposition with uh, anything that you know you that that 
you, you immediately become a traitor to uh, the person you were right before you were successful who was a worker. And uh, so for me, like, that's so stark to me that, like, I, uh, I, I really like the replacements. I, when I read yeah. uh, their story in that book, Our Band Could Be Your Life, it hit me so hard creatively. Like, I was, like, reading about them doing this stuff where they would, like, get they'd get booked at like Carnegie Hall and then bomb the show and then get booked at uh the laundromat we played the other day the next day <laughs> and then play the best rock concert that's ever happened and no one knew it and it was like I just understand that creative impulse um because like they seem like they understood like the, the thing I'm talking about but the problem with that uh me versus the replacements is that um you can make great records if you're the replacements. Stand-up comedy requires an audience. <laughs> so like you can, you can if you do it all the way pure like I'm describing, you literally can't do it cuz there's nobody in the fucking room. So you have to like connect with some, and I was I'm trying to find the exact line to ride forever where I'm like this isn't going to compromise me, but I still have like a career and a show and shit, you know. Yeah, and I mean I I think uh, I think half of that band died from alcoholism, <laughs> and then the other remaining half is like about to. The, um, but yeah, I mean, you can't be a professional revolutionary. The, you know, that that was one of the things that, um, in the late '90s, early 2000s, I think Moby was the first artist who like licensed all of his work to commercials. And every working art, like every working musician at the time, was like, "Well, this is this is fucking bullshit. You fucking sell out." And he was like, "No, I'm changing the industry from the inside," which is <laughs> that's exactly what people always say just before somebody's like, "But what about this big Uncle Scrooge uh, bag of money with the fucking dollar signs on it?" And then yeah. they're like, "Dude, that's kind oh, of I changed my mind." <laughs> that's kind of how Kristen Cinema like turned into what she is. Oh God! When she started, she was like, "If I work with Republicans a little bit." I can like change shit from the inside. She is the Scrooge McDuck of American politics. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of Scrooge McDucks in America. Yeah, no, that, I say, yeah, that's a terrible <laughs> analogy. But um, yeah, no, that's like a it's a contradiction, and like uh, it's why I don't have that much interest in in like pursuing this part of my life. But like, it's funny because I keep uh, get like the fucking ice thing happened, and then Max, you know, Eve Six took me on tour. And I have people that are like uh, in my corner that want to see me succeed and are like texting me like, get back on the road, perform more. Like You need to do this. And I'm the one resisting. I'm like, I, I, I don't think it's true that you um, that you don't have interest in pursuing this part of your life. The Because having seen um, having been on the road with you a ton and having seen you perform a ton, the you're never ho-hum about doing a show. I love performing. The and the I've seen you um after you've had killer sets and you're just the you know I mean you describe the unease that you felt after the Memphis show where you were like the I have a unfamiliar sensation that approaching something like happiness. Yeah, no. <laughs> Dude, after that show that show was so fucking good. I had this weird thought um you were excellent by the way watching you in fucking heels together was like crazy thank you um i felt so good about all of us and everyone in the room and the audience and everything i was like this is what people feel like at church like when that actually works yeah. or if i mean i was gonna say it only worked in the past but then i realized oh if you're like in the joel austin cult or whatever and you're in a mega church you're probably feeling like a similar feeling to much worse music or <laughs> I mean, uh better hairstyles i don't know what the fuck comparison between us and that shit is but like uh that's why i'm like in such a fucking contradiction here man because i'm like this is the thing that gives me access to the microphone and the antenna to fucking Elysium or whatever. This is I know this thing gives me meaning, and yet it has these giant contradictions in it. So I what do I I can't quit it. <laughs> uh, I but I every time I per, pursuing it fucking sucks and feels terrible all the time. I don't know how to how to deal with that. You know. I mean I so the. 
I've puzzled over this for a long time. And I, I think the, you know, the conundrum of being on the road is I, I, like a good analogy is like diabetes uh, because the diabetes isn't high blood sugar. It's high blood sugar and low blood sugar and no ability to modulate of, to have like medium blood sugar. Yeah. And the, um, and that's, you know, it's like the, you know, cop shoot cop, the, um, description of being a, you know, a day to day heroin user. Like you, you cop heroin, you shoot it, you cop more heroin, you know, that, that you go from like being completely sated to completely in need. You know the like sort of agony and bliss. I get it now. I thought you were saying a cop shooting a cop. The, uh, that's also a great idea. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, um, but uh, um, there's actually there's a great uh, whatever '90s New York band called Cop Shoot Cop, which you should absolutely listen to. I'll send you a link. Cool. The um, yeah, great fucking band. Um, but that's kind of why I brought Sadie with me this time. And that's what, that's also too why I, um, I mean, well, she sucks at selling merch. I'll tell you that. I, yeah, the well, she sucks at everything except <laughs> except doing her one job, which is to be the best antidepressant I've ever fucking encountered. Yeah, because there have been so many days where I was like, you know, days or nights. The being in Athens for a month was. You know, cold and dark and wet and lonely and the, you know there are so many times where the your brain just wants to head off into like despair the but then sadie is like sadie farts and it that's there's never been a funnier joke than my dog <laughs> farting and looking at her butt i'm sorry it's yeah. always cutting edge yeah <laughs> it is funny because then she licks her butt and then you forget about it, and then she puts her tongue in your mouth. And then you <laughs> like <think> immediately. You, <laughs> and then you think about the whole thing all at once. Yeah. Go, I need to go brush my teeth. <laughs> and end my life. <laughs> yeah. yeah, man. I feel like way about my cat. Um, it's crazy. It's, like, so obvious once you, once you start doing it, having a pet, that... Uh, there's a reason people do this and it's uh probably occupying some of the same space as kids for people and shit it's it's great if you don't want to have a kid but you do want to have joy and uh yeah man i was doing some weird fucking shaman shit in therapy at some point trying to climb into an inner world inside of myself and visualize it and i have this crazy therapist who is uh licks did, toads did, and stuff and did you just keep seeing the ice cave from fight club kind of you're, shit like that like, like why is ed norton here <laughs> <laughs> yeah dude that's totally what it was though uh, yeah <laughs> it was like that type of thing or whatever the metaphor is in that movie and uh i remember kind of thinking like um i i, I like my therapist a lot but she's like a, like i she knows i'm a skeptic and i'm like i can't feel anything um, you, you know, I believe you about this stuff, but when you're trying to guide me through this stuff, she keeps going, do you feel anything? And I go, no. And it's really hard for me to get in there, but I think it's because of PTSD and shit. But I, I, I fucking was inside this ice cave in my head at one point a while back. And then I was like, oh my God, there's this little thing. And it's like a part of me and I feel it and I love it. And I was, and it, she's like, what does it look like? And I was like, well, it's a little black uh blobby oh my god it's my fucking cat <laughs> yeah and she's like yeah that probably is your cat like that's probably you know you have a thing that you love or whatever and that's like really good for you and that uh does like occupy a space and become like part of your inner world or whatever you know when um when's the last time like murray was fucking you know, outraged at you and didn't talk to you for three days. <laughs> no, he never. He forgets like instantly. The, if, if I, yeah, like, it, the, I've been like, there, get the fuck out of my room. I'm trying to do coke or, or, uh, you know, jerk off or something. And he, I will, I feel bad kind of like I'm a bad parent. And then like an hour later, he's like, Hey, what's up? You know, there's, that's the thing is that there's, there's fucking nothing you can do that will alienate your pet. You know, people are always like, oh, you know, uh, dogs are such a great uh, judge of character. They fucking aren't. You know who loved dogs? Hitler. His <laughs> dogs loved him. That's that's the best and worst thing about dogs is that the uh, Nazis love them and they love Nazis. There's nothing you can do to alienate a fucking dog or a cat. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think about that a lot because sometimes I see a human who I'm like, I fucking hate this person, and then I have a pet, and I'm like, what is it like to be that pet who just like climbs on this huge, disgusting, horrible thing, and is just like, I love you so much. Um, that I was thinking about this because like when I first got Elsie, like she, at night, she would just walk all over my body and like stand on my head and like lick me and like, and I was like, why the fuck are you doing this? But think about, think if you had a friend who was like 60 times bigger than you and was always like feeding you and fucking with you and stuff like that. Like, wouldn't you fucking climb all over them when they were asleep and be like, I'm jumping from one shoulder blade to the other one. Mishka, like, I do have a friend who's 60 times bigger than me and often feeds me and he's right in front of me. Well, don't, don't jump on my head while I'm asleep. Yeah, for anyone listening who's unfamiliar, Mishka's a giant human i didn't think i was that large until you took the picture of me in the orange suit and i was like that's that is a big man <laughs> it's a big disgusting man you look like steve harvey who's also huge uh, yeah. oh man i wonder have we ever like talked about your you though like your career and shit when we do this do people listening know who the fuck you are i don't know i always fuck whenever i tell people about you the first thing i tell them is that story about uh the two bands getting signed uh is this is this not real? Did I make this up? The, I don't know. Tell me. Well, I think a long time ago you told me a story about playing music in New York when you lived there, and it was during like the you know the the two thousand era. Yes, and you were playing a show, and there's two bands opening, and they both got signed that night by someone in the audience or like discovered or whatever, and those two bands went on to become the Strokes and the Yeah Yeah Yeahs. That's close enough. the The Strokes were the the band that opened for us, um, and they uh, and yeah, they got their big break that night, and we didn't. Um, and then yeah, 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 were another band that uh, we played with, and you could see them on a Tuesday night for five bucks. Okay, and so it was just the, the Strokes, but that's still like very funny. <laughs> yeah, no, the it's, it's like a sad way. Well, and and I mean, there's like so many, um, so many people who. It's like I am Dumbo's feather. <laughs> like the feather doesn't fly. Dumbo flies. The feather doesn't. Yeah. The, but there have been so many people around me, who, you know, people who I've just sort of like just watched get famous around me. Um, and oh, man, that sucks. Like ambition is a fucking terrible drug to have, um, particularly creative ambition. And the and fuck it. Everybody says they're not, you know, the um comedians always say like oh you know that joke was for me it's like no they're fucking they're all for you like we're all up there like desperately harvesting the likes and the looks and the applause and the heart emojis yeah and the um you know and i did my best to sort of like make that into a drug when i was younger and then it was incredibly painful for me uh watching like the strokes blow up and stuff like that and uh and i focused on my drinking for a long time yeah that's good yeah. That, that's a good substitute and now i'm a writer <laughs> <laughs> oh man i don't know i guess that story like to me uh, i don't know what it specifically it says that's so funny what the narrative of that that joke of a story is or whatever but it is like captures this feeling of uh because it's like no, that was supposed to be me. I was headlining, you know? Like, what, is, what does headlining even mean? We, we were just playing last. <laughs> yeah. Who said that? <laughs> A wise man. <laughs> um, God, I don't know. And then it's like to to have a career and to be an artist and be somebody who's like occupying this weird space of going around trying to be a troubadour and make this thing happen and like... Um, what I've had a lot of friends get famous, uh, and I've watched that, and I've also had a lot of friends die young. Yeah, and yeah. when they die young, I always think, is the story? What's the what, what do you? What is the story we tell about them? Is it uh oh they were on their way to, they could have been famous someday, or is it like no, it's not. It's all the in-between parts. Uh, I had so much fun doing comedy with this person in fucking laundromats and shit. 
Um, Wait, <laughs> no, not Jake. I, I think I missed my window on dying young. No, no, no. I, <laughs> different laundromat. Uh, okay, <laughs> I've done a lot of shows in laundromats and uh, yeah, me too. Things like that and house shows and stuff. But it always feels like this like um, weird fucking switcheroo uh, gotcha kind of moment where uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like I always feel like caught off guard because I'm like, oh, I was staring at the wrong part of life, which is staring forward and not present but when someone dies i go the it's the the story here of their life is uh not oh how tragic they could have been on an snl someday it's like man we had we had so many good experiences together but in those experiences when we were young we were like kind of out of the moment a lot of times because we were thinking oh when i move to new york this is gonna happen or when i move to la this is gonna happen or whatever so it's like i don't know it feels weird uh, you're constantly in this contradiction as like an artist where you kind of like are bringing all this joy into the moment with what you make and stuff. And yet you're, you keep tricking yourself into being like removed from the moment. And that's why I'm so I hobby is I, the closest word to what I am trying to describe when I say like, Oh, like my art is a hobby or whatever. But like what I really mean is just nothing matters except for the fucking moment. The, yeah, to to sort of tap back into a couple of things that we've uh, covered, the, um, you know, one of the things that you know, I was urging you at an earlier point in our friendship to to sort of like capitalize on the touring that we do and and the the crazy shit that you do and the crazy shit that happens to you. The but I think I've reached a point in my life where I'm realizing that capitalizing upon that stuff just means enjoying it just means having fucking fun like yeah. that 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 night in memphis it's not going to do anything for us there was nobody there there were no tastemakers there sure, josh mclean was there do you <laughs> the, know who he is yes the, <laughs> there's a man there's i there's also this thing the the ecstasy in, in in the uk is really fucking good and i remember taking uh taking ecstasy there and f- feeling so fucking good that it almost hurt yeah, and there's like a photograph of me and Josh from the other night. The man, I'm fucking like tearing up talking about this. The where uh, I'm singing into the mic, and he's like sort of glancing at me, and like <laughs> Josh has had a re- really fucking rough couple of years, and it's just been like, you know, I, I go on Twitter and see that he's posted like, you know, tell people you love them when you can, which is just another way of, which is him saying another f- person close to me has died. Yeah. And it's just, it just happens again and again and again. And then his fucking pipes burst over uh, Christmas and, you know, he's a small child um, that they brought into the world in the middle of a fucking global pandemic, you know, and the, and just that photograph from that night of like him, like looking at me as I'm singing the, it's like, man, fuck everything else. That's it right there. That is the moment. But also it's the, you know, we're talking about like, you can't be a professional revolutionary. Revolution isn't something that's constantly happening. You know, the like, well, Leon Trotsky would disagree, but go ahead. the, well, I, I mean, you know, or or at least in in one government, you can't be like we're the revolutionary party, because if you succeed as the revolutionary party, then you become the governing party. Yeah. The and I'm going through Russian history right now, and like a lot of what we're describing, where you, oh, I made it. Oh fuck, I didn't. Is like it's kind of a good metaphor. Yeah, yeah. The it's you know uh, I think Jamaica Kincaid talks about that, and she says you know the um, everyone is either a slave or a master, you know, and it's the and it switches instantaneously mm-hmm. that which is one of the things i found from street fights the um <laughs> but uh the I, I guess what i was trying to get at is the thing that we do has to has to remain ephemeral in order for it to continue to have meaning um people keep asking me about the house shows at my place like why we don't stream them and why we don't record them and it's like i want it to be this fucking incredible thing where if you were there, you remember that night. And if you weren't, you don't. Yeah. There's this thing Walter Benjamin talks about that I, I kind of agree with. He's a really hard to understand uh, f- philosopher. And I, I remember reading him when I was younger, and I remember nothing of what I read. <laughs> um, yeah. It's one of those where you're like, am I on acid while I'm reading this? But every once in a while, something gets through. And something I caught from reading him a little bit is that 
uh, I guess photography was kind of being invented around the time he was writing and he was talking about photography and how a photograph, uh, inherently always loses like something something is lost in it and it's interesting because you can capture a moment but the essence i think is what he called it is just always lost and it's by nature like you'll never take a good enough photograph you might get 99 percent of the way there really capture a moment but it's just not the same thing and that's how i've always felt about uh shows which is also why i don't record shit because like people are always like oh why don't you record shit and i should for like because you have to do something but like I, it's it never occurs to me and i'm always like well this is going to take us out of the moment and the what if we die tomorrow you know yeah. enough friends die to be like i could it might happen it happens to fucking all the time without meaning chaotically um <clears throat> i mean the thing is too is that like the i mean an, another sort of um you know uh, critical social theory 101 author is Baudrillard talking about the simulation replacing the real. And the, that's the thing when people are like, you're recording your special. It's the special is, is the thing, but it's replaced the reality of we're doing a show tonight. Yeah. The, and, and that's the thing is that it should be, I don't know, man. I like, I, it's my 20th year of touring this year. I can't get it out of my head that it's got to mean something or I need to go back and look at my body of work, all the laundromats I've played, mm-hmm. you know, and, and what does it mean and sort of like assign some meaning to it. And the, or like fucking some, you know, quote unquote legacy. And the, and I feel like it's just, um, I don't know the people came out and fucking, they don't, you know, after 10 years or 20 years or that they don't remember any of the jokes or the songs or whatever, but that they remember, but as that shit gets worn away with the fucking whippets we do or whatever, the, that they just, they remember that feeling of like, we all laughed together, you know, that feeling of connectedness. Yeah. Especially if you drink. I mean, sometimes you go, how was the show last night? Oh, it was awesome. What happened? I have no idea. I just, (laughs) just got, just got the feeling. Uh, that's the only thing that made it through the hippocampus last night or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know. You know, I was just thinking something when we were starting recording here, which is like, um, this, 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 this podcast is such a strange product because I'm one third of it and it's me and Anders and Alex have all these different we kind of have different philosophies personally I've sort of figured out over the show and stuff you know and it's not bad none of it's contradictory really but it's like um I there's whenever I meet somebody who listens to this show I go why like how did that happen and there's always there's often a lot of different uh answers and i'm like we're just we're just a big blob of a few different things and uh some people came here because they heard me on a music thing or something or whatever or um you know because they're in the dsa and they're a nerd and they fucking know anders or what you know but like uh or they're an edge lord i get a lot of edge lords who are like uh, then they get mad at me because i'm not edge lordy enough on this show or whatever the fuck but uh you're an edge lad (laughs) yeah (laughs) an edge lady uh, but like, uh, or an edge Duke, I don't know. Okay. <laughs> I was thinking Lord count, um, Ed, edge Duke Ferdinand edge landed gentry. I don't know. Um, but like, so I was thinking, you know, sometimes people are like, why did you do an episode where you just talk to a musician or whatever? And I'm like, an everything is connected delusion sort of uh rhizome person. Or I'm like, if I talk to anyone long enough, I can get it back to kind of what the show is about because what I think the show, what is at the heart of questions like socialism is just the truth, like the truth, the center of reality or whatever. Um, but also like this thing we're talking about, I don't know. So if you're like, why, why are we talking? Why is Jake talking to like this musician friend of his? Uh, this isn't, we're not talking. This isn't about overthrowing the government or, uh, you know, some cool story from the Mexican revolution or something. Um, it, Fuck it, it's exactly what we were just talking about because you are the singular influence in my life that caused me to uh to well you caused me to arc my career in a certain way that created this fucking show because I was having the conversation we were having at one point and was like in this relationship and I had all these things going and I was like I do comedy um and 
you know, this show had started, but nobody was really listening to it yet. And uh, when fucking ICE came and uh, came to my house, uh, Homeland Security, sorry, uh, they're interchangeable for punchline reasons, I think, but whatever. People fucking yell at me and go, you're misrepresenting your story or whatever the fuck. Um, but like when that happened, man, I remember talking to you and you were like, now is the moment. And it's, I was remember balancing a couple of things where I was like, well, I'm not a full on careerist person with my art. So part of me is like, never is the moment. Um, to, to start asking to go on shows and promoting this fucking story and all this stuff. Um, but also like, why do this at all? If you're never going to try and, you know, don't let perfect be the enemy of good. And like, um, you can just not be an artist. That's an option, you know? So you should probably figure out. So I get what I, I guess where I landed was, uh, I got to take like, certain arcs and opportunities in my career and jump on them when they happen. And then you get like an, you know, an ebb and then the flow happens or whatever after that. And I can relax and not be, I would have lost the, the, the forest for the trees. If every moment post that I was constantly promoting and shit and was like a businessman after that, I'm fucking not. But I remember being like with uh, the person I was dating at the time, I remember just being like, I really need you to like be here <laughs> for me because I'm about to spend a month nonstop, not sleeping, making phone calls, sending emails, going on every show I can get on and trying to get this thing off the ground because I know the way a showbiz career works is that you get a few opportunities and you kind of just keep getting them and it's like fishing or something. And uh, if you don't, you, you learn to jump on them. And if you don't learn that, they keep coming and you miss them or uh, you, or they just, yeah, like you just, the last one goes and then you learn and you're like, well, that, the, so I remember being like, this might be the last one. I was like, you know, 30 or something at that time. And I was just like, which I was the end of the world. Of course <laughs> I, you're laughing, but I felt like it only gets worse. <laughs> I felt like I was like, oh, maybe I'll go back to school or something. Um, but like, yeah, it really made me realize like, oh, there's a, there's like, there's there's a way to balance all this stuff and all these contradictions within what you do as a creative person. And I mean, for the fact that we're sitting here talking to thousands of people is like proof that it, it like, it was a good decision and I don't feel like I sold out or anything. It's really weird to think that I gave you good advice because there, are, <laughs> I mean, man, maybe that, maybe that is the, the, the instance that, uh, you know, we should highlight the, as opposed to all the other times I was like, you should really sell Herbalife or and no, <laughs> the, um, I, I don't remember that, but I'll absolutely take credit for it. Um, the, I'll, I'll take my cut of the podcast billions whenever you're ready. The, um, <laughs> no, I, I mean, I do, I still do think that some of that is true, but I think also the, I mean, I would temper, I don't know, some of that now with some of the shit that you said to me that's soaked in which i think the reason one of the reasons that you take those opportunities is be is for sustainability right the um matt friedberger from fiery furnaces said once i think he put out like four records in a year and he just said uh i'm gonna keep making records until somebody forces me to stop yeah and that is what an artist does an artist makes art and when you capitalize on the the um the opportunities you're presented with that's an investment in sustainability that means you can continue to be an artist the and it's not necessarily that you're like um oh fuck yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna ride this podcast thing and and you know strip mine this specific genre of the digital radio or whatever you know for everything it's worth and then buy a swimming pool it's just that this is a thing that i can do that will um enable me 10 years or 20 years from now to continue doing the stuff that I do the um but one of the one of the things that I'm really like trying to sort of brainwash myself with now we we were, we, we were talking a little bit about uh, productivity and what a curse that is and and what a sort of uh, uh poor person's illness it is that like you're like I'm on the clock yeah, like I got to I got to make fucking X dollar amount of dollars today or whatever. The yeah, um, capitalism brainwashes us into being workers, and then like you don't even let yourself have fun because you're 
the way that work works now. I mean, it used to be that you clocked out at the end of the day, and then you went to the oh, bar God. or whatever, yeah. and that doesn't exist anymore. Now you live at the job, you know, and yeah. uh, you work from home, and you live at the job. And uh, Man, I remember when, like, the working from home thing took off with um, the, the sort of the beginning of COVID, and everybody was so psyched, and I was like, careful what you fucking wish for, man, because the it just means Sunday doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. And the your boss can fucking text you at midnight or whatever, regardless of what you do for work. You're like, I've gotten to the end of Pornhub. Careful what you wish for. It's not <laughs> <Yeah>. that bad. <laughs> Peering over the edge. <laughs> the Pornhub is flat. <laughs> Pornhub is a flat circle. Yeah. <laughs> the uh, um one of the things that you know as an alcoholic and somebody who suffers from depression and anxiety you, you learn different tools to uh manage and organize your brain or your mental illness or whatever so you can get through the day and one of the one of the crutches that i've always used is the job list you know just wake up grab a three by five card write down what you have to do that day and then fucking one by one do them and that that is sort of the curse of productivity too is that it's an there's an endless series of those three by five cards i never i never complete one I, I, I cross off some of the things on my job list, but I can, one of my jobs is to write the job like list, another you know, list, yeah. yeah. And it just, um, it's like, uh, a sorcerer's apprentice, the, you know, it, the, the, the cards just keep regenerating yeah. until, you know, one day I'll cross off the last thing and, and it'll be like fucking John Henry, the, <laughs> I'll just drop dead, you know, the, yeah. um, but one of the things that I started doing when, I got the cat and when I got the dog is I would put on my job list, spend 10 minutes with Elsie telling that I love her more than anything else in the world. Spend 10 minutes with Sadie telling her that I love her, you know, that they each get their own time slot. And then, um, I paid a friend who does, um, cross stitch to, to do a, to cross stitch a thing with a picture of my dog and a picture of my cat and have a good day on it and that's the number one thing on my job list is have a good day <laughs> and the and it feels really sort of like cracker barrel bougie the like i'm some weird life hacking self-help snake oil salesman but dude it's it is dramatically helpful because now there's a concrete reminder that um as a person and as an artist the um my job is to uh to enjoy myself and the thing the thing that makes me the happiest is making a thing or fucking yeah. um telling a joke and and having people laugh or watching you bomb watching you fucking blow a joke <laughs> that you know inside and out i i love that i love it when you fucking swap the words oh. and you're like uh, no the well, Damn it, Jake! Get the, ready to be very happy for the next four days. <laughs> or watching, and I also sometimes enjoy watching you kill. The um, I had so much anxiety uh, in Memphis because the uh, when you got up there, you were clearly hammered. The Josh had had such a great set standing on the fucking cinder block. We had, we finally had like a full room. Everybody was in a good mood. The and it was also like fifteen minutes before it had been empty. We were like, oh, all right, fucking whatever. Yeah. The, and then you got up there and you and the <laughs> I don't think I was hammered. The, I don't like, yeah. I you were slurring a little bit. All right. The, um, maybe, I'm just wet brained. Yeah, I was gonna say maybe <laughs> it's just the. Um, but the also my anxiety increased the the better you did and the longer you did well because so i was like oh he's fucking really gonna blow it now like it's gonna be, like i did i didn't have more confidence when the crowd was clearly with you and then you stuck the dismount and it felt like a fucking miracle and i was like and my first thought was fuck we should have been recording that. yeah i, I wish I we bet. had recorded that it's, but if we did it wouldn't it wouldn't this the simulation would re, would replace the real in our brains we wouldn't yeah. remember it the way that we remember it yeah being no, fucking amazing Baudrillard night. Benjamin shit would have happened and also uh 
I might not have killed if I had set up a camera in the room and then been thinking about it the whole fucking time. Well, you may not have killed after all. That like I may have just been in a good mood and you were shit faced. <laughs> maybe oh, yeah, everybody maybe else. Happen. <laughs> maybe everybody else who was there was just like, what? Like listening to this, like no, fucking, he was terrible. Yeah, fucking yeah. McLean owned it. Those guys were chumps. The, what's funniest? What about, what about, <laughs> the next night when I ate shit. What if we're remembering that wrong too? And actually, it was the greatest show we've ever played. Well, this is the thing, and that's the thing about live performance, man. Particularly as a band, because the um, the technology of monitors, of having speakers that face you, uh-huh. that play the music back to you, invented by the Grateful Dead. The which is really we, yeah weird thing to know. Yeah, the I guess they played so much and they played at such high volumes that one of their um, one of their live engineers figured out that they needed speakers pointing at them mm-hmm. um not at the audience but the the mix you get in the monitors is never representative of the mix you get in the house so um playing in bands you know we would sometimes be like oh that was that was the fucking worst show like i couldn't hear a fucking thing and everybody in the crowd you know everybody would come up to us afterwards and be like that holy fuck what did you guys do tonight that was the best i've ever heard you play or the best i've ever heard you sound yeah and it's you know just that we were having like radically different experiences of it but the but that's the thing with memory too is that you know the um we remember things differently yeah uh, that's weird to think about because it ultimately doesn't even matter. Like if, if we're only in the now, so anything that happens and then is in the past just is there, and it's now open for interpretation and shit. Um, I you know, that thing you're saying about uh, have have a good day. Uh, you know, make, getting yourself a little cross stitched old lady thing that says do if you have whatever the fuck it said. Um, it's funny because it's like. That's a lot of different things, but it, what it definitely is is really powerful. Like that weird, like sigil shit, where you just like fucking venerate a thing for a little bit and let it get in your head, really does work. That's why it's at the center of all self help bullshit. Um, but like, it's it's funny because it, t- to me, on the one hand, it sounds like uh, really bleak, like the way um, you know you have to put a a thing up in your cubicle to not kill yourself. Uh, You shouldn't need a a voice of authority to be like, feel good, you know? Yes, sir. Like, no, it's not. You're a slave if that's how you get the thing in your head, but I guess we all kind of are slaves. Anyway, but it's also... uh, But then it's also making me think about chaos magic and shit like that, and, like, fucking... Maybe that works. Uh, I don't know. What I do know is that I did the same thing uh, when I moved to New York, and I don't have this mirror anymore but you just reminded me that i i had this philosophy when i was gearing up to move to new york from austin where i was saving as much money as i could and i was like trying to fucking make all these connections and uh, do this thing and get over this hump and so i was thinking about the way things feel when you're on tour how they feel like they're in fast motion and you're out of step with everyone else, and you're in this, like, kind of wormhole, like, you know, you flew the Millennium Falcon into warp speed or whatever the fuck, and uh, you don't rest, you don't read a book, you bring a book with you, but you don't read it, uh, because your brain is not in relaxing mode, and book reading, it's getting getting shit done mode, and so I wrote a tour all the time on a fucking mirror in my room, so I'd wake up, and I'd be like, you're not a resident of Brooklyn. You are not going to the coffee shop to socialize. Uh, you know, fucking, you were on tour even if you live in the same space. Uh, I would have tricked myself into thinking my apartment was a van and every day I got out and was in a different city or whatever. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's why for the first couple of years I just fucking got tons of shit done. Um, but it was kind of the opposite of have a good day or whatever. Make yourself feel good. Yeah, that sounds like fucking terrible advice. <laughs> I mean, eventually it burn out, and I stopped, yeah, yeah. And now yeah. I need your thing uh, on my wall. <laughs> I mean, the that that is a sign of uh, hardcore menopause that I need to generate my own little fucking Dilbert cartoon <laughs> so I don't open a vein. <laughs> like. Here is a physical reminder to feel pleasure because you don't do it automatically. <laughs> the but it's true, you know. I mean, the um, you know, comics talk about grinding and the and then of course the then there's the uh, don't grind camp, you know. The and no uh, grind at one point and then at another point, fucking don't. Yeah. You know, I mean, living out of a van when I was 
25 or 26 living out of a van for a year and just like touring all the time that that's how i wrote uh how to make a bad situation worse that's what that record came out of that's how what my um it was a lifelong i mean that'll tell you where i come from is that it was a lifelong dream of mine to fucking live in a car and the um aim high motherfuckers um but that was a lifelong dream for me. I'm so glad that I did it because I no longer have that dream. I, you know, I do feel that that's a job I completed. I have no desire to live in a van now. And the, and it, at the end of the day, that grind did do what I wanted it to do. You know, it, it did, I did put out a record that's how a record came out of that, that has some longevity and, um, it put me on the road that I guess I'm still on now. Um, and also if I was, um, Steph Bright is, uh, the, we're staying at Stetson Banks, uh, place in, uh, Southwest Missouri. Um, and I'm, I've been sleeping in Steph Bright's bed while she is out on the road. She's a comic I've known for years, but I keep running into her this year. She was at altercation. I saw her flyer in New Mexico. She was on the show with me in Fort Collins. She is fucking grinding right now. Yeah, I can tell. And the, yeah. And whenever I see her, um, it's like the sets get better and better. And I like uh hug her longer when i see her because i'm like are you okay because it's so fucking hard to tour that hard at that level for that long and it's the kind of thing that you have to sort of like it's like being a drug addict you have to do it as long and as hard as you can and then stop (laughs) (laughs) i think um there's like uh there's a the the thing is you you hit the nail on the head a minute ago. And you're like, do some things sometimes and other things other times. That's the answer to the question of which of these things do you do? And like, I keep using the word contradiction because I'm a theory nerd and this is a podcast about Marxism and shit. But like, there's that's coming from Hegelian philosophy, if I understand it correctly, which I probably don't because fucking no one does. Uh, but if I my understanding of what's called dialectical like thinking as a philosophy or whatever is that you have these two point and counterpoint things that form a contradiction and usually what happens if it's you're doing dialectics correctly you have thesis antithesis and then the me and you sit and argue we're two philosophers i have a thesis you have the antithesis i'm like don't grind uh live in the moment and you're saying don't live in the moment grind uh otherwise you won't be sustainable or whatever the answer is not that one of us wins. It's that there's a third th- angle that we didn't fucking look at. I think at that's actually me. Plato, not Hegel. Whatever. The, uh, well, they're all fucking connected the to thesis, each other. thesis, antithesis, synthesis? Well, that's... I mean, that's that is Hegel. But he's probably... These, we're, Wait, we're doing it right now. Yeah, fuck <laughs> I mean, someone is going to angrily discord about this. and No, it's both or it's neither or whatever the fuck. Point being, um, uh, I mean, I think that's like a continuation of how philosophy works is it's, you know, they build upon each other and shit. But uh, the answer is always third thing. The answer is always third thing when you're stuck in a contradiction. And like um, this happens with, uh, you know, with like people that are into socialism and revolutionary politics and shit all the time where they're like, what should we do? How do we get to the end point where we're fucking we can stop being the working class and being enslaved? How do we fix society? All these different theories and stuff. Um, but this guy, David Graeber, wrote this really interesting book last year called The Dawn of Everything uh, with another guy named David Wengrow, Two Davids, weird. Um, and then Two he Davids, died. one book. Yeah. <laughs> and he died right afterwards. Really bizarre. Uh, we did an episode up on it, me and Andy. Um, but it's like, uh, it was really interesting because he's like not a Marxist so much as he's like a kind of an anarchist adjacent guy. And he was basically going through all of <clears throat> uh, history and, and coming up with all these examples of the way that people lived on like the Western continent before any European historians or philosophers really incorporated any of the stuff. And it like contradicts a bunch of stuff that people were arguing about Hobbes and Rousseau used to kind of be in this conflict of like one person saying all the Indians were um, in, they lived in communism. They were happy before we imposed all this shit on them. 
And then the other guy, Hobbs, is going, oh, they were savages. They were fucking killing each other until we imposed all this shit on them. Dawn of Everything comes along and goes, no, it's actually both. And by def- by def- de- contradicting the idea that uh, the past was fixed, you contradict the idea that the future is fixed. So instead of two people arguing, history is shaped like this, or history is shaped like this, um, the third thing, the synthesis here is like, societies can actually switch. Like, you can change what you're doing. Um, there was this really interesting story in that book about, uh, like, uh, Inuits or whatever. I don't know. <laughs> Every time I talk about <laughs> that group of people, somebody tells me that's actually the slur. I don't know which one it is. I, uh, yeah, Inuit is correct. <laughs> okay, Inuits. Right now, anyway. <laughs> this, uh, there was this tribe of Inuits that would do this thing where they were like, when they during the winter when they had or the summer or whatever when they had to go out and hunt they would have like a like a mayor or a king or a chief or whatever and uh <laughs> chief is a slur <laughs> <laughs> and then um and that would that system of s- organizing things socially made the hunt work and then when they got back to town for the winter to hunker down they did not have the chief anymore they'd like literally if he tried to you know hey everyone listen to me they would shut up you're not chief it's not chief time or right. whatever and so what's interesting about that is that it's not one or the other it's choosing when to do one when to grind and when to not that's actually the answer to this thing that we've all been like arguing about how to live your life how to have your career or whatever it's like knowing when to do these things and if you do all of one all the time you're going to miss out on the other thing I've been thinking about a lot of this shit too, and the when I was walking the dog today, I was thinking about um, uh, the word Orwellian, <laughs> and how you know people are f- afraid that if we enact meaningful gun control, then the government's going to take our guns, mm-hmm. and the oh, it, it's a slippery slope. The you know it's um, and you know and we love the dystopian shit, the um, or at least we're very emotionally invested in it. That like we can't. Um, we can't tap out on it, but also the, and maybe I'll get hammered for this. I don't think we'll ever reach gender equality. The, but we would be fools. It, it, it's the worst nihilism to say, well, we're not ever going to reach gender equality. So the, we're going to tap out on it that we have to, we'll never, the, the full dystopia, the full Orwellian dystopia will never happen. And the full utopia will never happen but we need to keep we need to maintain our level of anxiety about dystopias and we need to keep pushing towards equality fairness kindness generosity those those things that we value the um and not not tap out the because i it, it is um I think it is, you know, that you need to, you need to work at some point, you need to sleep at some point, but also the, um, but also it's not binary that there's, it, it's like a ratio thing. The that, um, you know, sometimes when we're working, we're dreaming, and sometimes we work shit out in our sleep. The I've fucking written songs in my sleep, you know. The so the, it, there is no sort of clean cutoff there. I wrote I, a joke in my sleep. You want to hear it? Uh oh, yeah. Okay, it's uh, it's an impression. This is um, anarchist uh, Bill Maher. No rule. <laughs> Boo. Don't blame me. Blame Dream Me. That's wow. That's wild. <laughs> yeah. the, I woke up and I was like, I should write this down. And then the more I thought about it, I was like, that was dream funny not real funny. Is, is that why you're so noisy when you sleep uh, yeah everything's workshopping yeah it's like a factory <laughs> i wrote um you are the song in a in a dream and really? then I, yeah and i woke up and picked up my guitar and just like and just i didn't even write it i just like played it through the first time and i was like okay fuck there it is and, you know i hit record on my phone and i have like the the first time i played through it wow um that's why it sounds like the Yes. <laughs> you don't even know that song, Jake. <laughs> Fuck you. I know that song. I know all your songs. I'm your biggest fan. The... Oh, you know what? Shit, we should play, um, since this is the goth socialist podcast, and I finally made uh, some uh, gothy sounding shit, maybe we should play uh, some oh, of the new tracks yeah, at some you're point. turning in spooky here. in your old age. <laughs> <laughs> the, dude, I, when I was, you know, when I was 15, I, went, I always thought that, you know, I always like hated on The Cure and... Um, I think I discovered 
Susie and the Banshees before I went away to school. And uh-huh. then when I was 15 and I went away to school, my roommate was goth as hell, super uh-huh. into Bauhaus, and he turned me on to the birthday party. And um, he actually, my the guy who was my roommate when I was 15 is actually the one who produced this stuff. Wow. The, and yeah, and we have like a, we had a fucking gothy band for a minute in 2015, but never did anything with it. Uh, wait, oh, are we going to play the one with the line from the Killdozer guy in it? Uh, yeah, fuck it if you want. That's perfect. Are you kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> this is a Killdozer-ass podcast. <laughs> yeah, what is it? God made me for this? Uh, the, the line is, God built me for this job. <laughs> and the song is uh, Dark Information. Okay, here's what I think we should And do. actually, that song was... Uh, I I cribbed the first line from Aaron Lazar, the singer from the Giraffes. The and then remember that girl in Tucson that you were about to go home with, and then uh, you were you were she you went to a bar to have a drink with her, and she was like, "Oh, the I had to move because of the nanobots," and you were like, "Pick me up, I'm ready to go home." <laughs> Vaguely, the yeah, the uh, comedian destroys nanobots. The um, but that stuck stuck in my that turned up in this song too. And because the, like the dark information is the nanobots that gets in through the hole in his tooth. That's insane. I was also uh, doing too much Adderall. At the time. Sounds like <laughs> it. Uh, what I was going to say is we should go get uh, cross stitch things made to hang on our walls that say God built me for this job. That's fucking terrifying. <laughs> That's the new merch right there. Yeah, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Just put that in your fucking cubicle. A thing that the Killdozer guy said. All right. I think that's a fucking good, that's a good way to end this. The Unless you have something else. I had one more thought that it's just a recommendation. Have you read Rings of Saturn by W.G. Sabald? No. The You should read that. You would love that. It's because it's about uh, depression and sort of this guy who just walks around and he keeps seeing uh, the Quincux, the, uh, a grid in a bunch of cucks the what's it's called the the queen cucks it's just it's a grid like okay. the grid in the fucking tablecloth here like the grid in my pants okay the, but he sees it he he does this sort of walk about where he yeah where he's um the we just sort of like walking around and thinking and experiencing and revisiting history and looking at um industrialization and how um the one of the things that we've industrialized is the slaughter of human beings. So it, it's how industrialization affects genocide, and um, and at the end of it, he had a complete mental breakdown. Mm-hmm. Um, the and was put in a facility with uh, bars over the windows in a grid pattern. <laughs> oh my um, god! Yeah, the and and he was he died in a car accident in the early two thousands, I think. But I feel like the between the, um, you know, the sort of concerns with industrialization and uh, dude losing his shit. That 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 was a book. That's a book that you would, uh, you would really <laughs> do, and it's sort of like an autobiographical novel, yeah. Which I think will uh, speak to the book that you're not writing, yeah. Uh, your, so uh, so get out. get to work, Jake. Try and be productive on this tour, would you? Okay, sure. I'm gonna go um, <laughs> read the Unabomber's manifesto and then uh, use that to as a starting point for this book. I'm not writing that I'm writing. Excellent. All right. And you are the person that tells me to write my book that I'm not writing. So that's who Mishka is, everybody. (laughs) If you like me, Mishka is the, uh, he's my manager. Have a, have a productive day, (laughs) Jay.
Watch me die because God built 